everybody one more time to say Hosanna. Hosanna. That's not a word that we use very often. Um, and it means something like uh, our salvation has come. And I want to challenge you to have that word in your frame of mind as we're doing what we're going to do today. I'm not going to do a word study with you on Hosanna, but I I thought you might just imagine what that word means. Before we read our next passage today, which is Mark 11, thanks uh, to Hope for reading from Revelation 5. That wasn't in our liturgy, but I I wanted to add it so you get a little bit fuller of a context of what we're going to do today. Before we read our next passage, I want to invite you just a moment to to use your God-inspired imagination and practice something with me. Would you just close your eyes for just a second and bring to mind, if you can, an image of your favorite personal hero. It could be a collection of heroes, if you wish. And they can be superheroes or they can be ordinary heroes. But I want you to think for yourself Why is this person my hero? What makes them special? What admirable qualities do they have? Imagine them coming down the road and inviting you to join along behind them. Now ask yourself, where are we going? Why are we going there? What kind of place will this be? Is it a place of meaning and purpose? Maybe this hero of yours has done some extraordinary things, working for good, standing up in the face of evil. Would it be risky for you to follow along? Is it a risk that you're willing to take? So now watch as your hero begins to draw in others to join with you. The world is watching and your journey has now become a parade. What kind of people have joined with you? Are they people that you feel a strong sense of connection with? What is it about this group that connects you all? Is it your hero? Or maybe is it the cause? Is it the attention? Maybe some of you have just joined so that you can be a part of the in crowd. Maybe not. Maybe you want to make the biggest impact and tell the world all about this hero of yours or at least the cause that your hero represents. So I want you to imagine what props are you going to use to help others identify them? To know your message, your cause. What kind of clothes are you wearing? What signs are you holding up? Are they signs or symbols that have special meaning to you? What message do you expect that they will convey to the onlookers? What kind of response do you expect from the crowd? What anthems are playing or songs are you singing? How do you feel? What's going through your mind as you're there with your hero on parade? Perhaps you feel like a celebrity being on display as a part of a celebration. Perhaps you feel confused having, a, having to actually face the truth that others might not think of your hero or your cause the way you do. Perhaps you feel afraid because you know that your hero is unwelcomed in the community that you're parading through. Ask yourself again, where is this hero taking you? Is it a place that you're willing to go? Risks that you're willing to take? Is it a place of meaning and purpose? What is the meaning? What is the purpose? You can open your eyes now. I just wanted us to practice that. And and I want to ask you to continue asking some of those questions, keeping that image in your mind as you hear the following passage from Mark chapter 11. 
verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of our Lord. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Olives is an important part of the imagery here. He said two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here immediately. And so they went away and they found a colt tied near a door outside the street. As they were untying it, some bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying this colt? Well, they told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it, and many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the field. And then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for the people of God. As most of us know, I hope, Lent is a time of preparation for Easter. And we have our Lenten calendars and our Easter advertisements. We're busy making phone calls so that there will be enough food for the Easter breakfast. Some of us are busy stuffing plastic Easter eggs and filling them with candies that most of us shouldn't probably not eat. We're making Easter baskets with bunnies. I have no idea what bunnies have to do with Easter. Some of us take our family shopping for that special Easter clothing. Growing up, that was the only time I ever wear a suit, wore a suit or a tie. Maybe you are in the choir and you're practicing tirelessly to be at your best when you sing on Easter. We hope. But we all know it's also supposed to be a time of spiritual preparation, a time of repentance and reflection, a time for looking deep within ourselves and discovering who we really are. What I want to know, though, is what kind of float are you making? What kind of costumes do you have prepared? What clothing or symbols or signs are you going to use? What does your message say? Parade? What parade, you might ask? Well, a number of years ago, Rodney Clapp wrote a book called A Peculiar People. Most of you probably don't want to be peculiar, so you should probably read this book. But in it, he makes the claim that all good worship or liturgy includes a parade. Every Sunday, many church services include a processional that marches into the midst of assembled Christians. Perhaps someone is carrying a light. Maybe some folks are wearing special robes with special colors, bearing a crucifix or holding a cross high so that everyone can see the symbols and be reminded of the story of our faith. But during the season of Lent, we have been tasked to see this processional not only as an occasion for celebration, but as an one, of, one episode of a longer journey, a journey leading us along the way. And we should ask ourselves, where does this way lead? Remember, the way was actually what early Christians called themselves. 
Is it a place we're willing to go away, we're willing to journey? Is it a processional that we're willing to be a part of? Do we understand its meaning? Do we know its purpose? What does it tell us about the world as it really is and as it should be? Well, today we're celebrating Palm Sunday, and here we are waving our palm fronds and singing hosannas, and it's a procession of processions. It's a processional of processionals. It's a reenactment of a key part of the Jesus story. It's also worship, and that means that it's supposed to shape us into a particular type of people. Rodney Clapp puts it this way, to be human is to worship. To adore, to admire, to give our allegiances to powers that are greater than ourselves. Powers that grant our life's meaning and purpose, substance and form. Worship presents the world as it is and as it's really supposed to be. It calls us to the imitation of heroes and gods. Those that have ways that would set the world right. At worship, we consecrate our lives. We learn in worship what we adore, what we're willing to live for, or even die for. At worship, we celebrate our lives. What we worship is the source and sustainer of our existence. Worship shapes us. It forms us as a people, he says. Well, today, today we celebrate Palm Sunday and we prepare ourselves for Easter and we're participating in a parade that is meant to shape us into a particular type of people. What kind of people will that be? At the start of the week of Passover, the first Palm Sunday in the spring about 2,000 years ago, two processions entered Jerusalem. You may have heard me tell this story before. I hope to put it in your mind again. One was a, an imperial procession. The other was a procession of peacemaking peasants. From the west, Pontius Pilate entered Jerusalem at the head of a column of imperial cavalry and soldiers. Have in your mind this procession of Pontius Pilate. In provinces like Judea, the processions like this were meant to convey a message of imperial omnipotence. It includes soldiers wearing laurel wreaths on their heads and as they sang. It included the spoils of war and a collection of conquered slaves. It also includes the standard Roman instrument of public ridicule, the cross. Crosses, remember, were meant to threaten occupied peoples, reminding them what awaits those who refuse to submit to Roman authorities. From the east... Jesus enters in another procession on a colt or donkey, depending on which text you're reading. With cheering followers shouting hosannas, beginning in the poor town of Galilee about 100 miles north, they had been marching, shouting, aiming all along for Jerusalem. They were heading directly to the temple, a place not of worship but of conflict. And now they have arrived. No weapons, no armies. Here is our hero, not on a chariot or a war horse, but on a peace donkey. There are no captured prisoners or spoils from war. There are no threats of torture to frighten the onlookers to keep them in their place. Rather, there is only one who is knowingly leading a journey that will end with his own crucifixion. 
from the eyes of those indoctrinated by the violence of worldly powers, this looks like a procession of fools with false hope. At least two reasons for this foolishness. Theologian Theodore Kuntz, he puts it this way. First, it proclaims a victory before it was won. Jesus, the one who was proclaimed Messiah on Palm Sunday, was arrested and crucified within a week. Second, because Jesus was not the kind of Messiah the people wanted. He did not bring the power of Rome. He did not break the power of Rome and restore the glory of the Davidic kingdom. And yet the Christian gospel claims that he is king, Messiah, that, his victorious, that he is victorious and powerful. How can this be? These two processions, these two parades, they illustrate a central conflict that's at the heart of Holy Week, at the heart of what it means to be followers of the gospel. The question I want to ask you today is, what does your float look like? Which one of these parades are you going to join? Which one will we be shaped by? Palm Sunday is the time to remind ourselves which one of these is at the heart of the Christian story. This peasant on a donkey is surrounded by what appears to be a crowd of fools. Peasant workers, women, slaves, former lepers, all kinds of social outcasts. It's a curiously disarming vision. In the face of Rome's ideology of victory, remember victory, Victoria, was one of the Roman goddesses. This entire procession looks almost incongruous. It this isn't a symbol of overwhelming military strength. It appears to be no more than foolishness. The Apostle Paul would say as much in his letter to the church in Corinth. The message of the cross is foolishness, he said. They didn't look like they were aiming to seize the reins of power in order to remake human history. Instead, if they have a message at all, it's that the power that makes for peace is not one of might, but of mercy. Not one of power, but one of fearless vulnerability. Recall the central image from the book of Revelation that we just read. John is there in the spirit, engaged in this heavenly liturgy. It's a scene of worship. And John sees this sealed scroll, presumably a scroll that contains the truth about the salvation of the world. And it's in the right hand of the one who is seated on the throne. But the irony is the one on the throne, for some reason, doesn't even have the authority to open it. You see, God on the throne has this scroll that contains the salvation of the world and doesn't even have the authority to open it. And so John begins to weep since no one, even God, can bring salvation. No one can open this scroll that contains the secrets about why things are the way that they are. It's almost as if John has lost faith in God. Israel has been waiting for God to bring salvation and they have only experienced ridicule, violence, and bloodshed. It's as if I heard this morning the Fiddler on the Roof song. God, choose another people. And then one of the 24 elders who surrounded the heavenly throne tells John, John, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. This 
imagery of a lion of the tribe of Judah, this root of David, these are titles meant to express a warrior strength. And based on the imagery thus far, there's every reason to believe that the opening of this scroll is going to result in a military battle against the enemies of God. And yet John looks up, and instead of seeing a lion, he sees a lamb. And instead of a throne of a conquering king, he sees an altar. See, the image central to the book of Revelation is this jarring image. While John and the whole of Israel were waiting on a strong messianic leader to conquer their enemies, we find a lamb who was slaughtered by them. It's as if all of a sudden the veil over John's eyes has been removed. By the way, that's what the word apocalypse means. He finally sees the truth at the heart of the universe that God's salvation comes not on a war horse, but on a peace donkey. Not in the form of a conquering army, but in the form of a slain lamb. Not with fear, but with fearless vulnerability. Here we are at the start of Holy Week on Palm Sunday, marching our way to Easter. Which parade will we join? What will our procession be? The question I want to ask you this morning is what will your parade float look like? What's the meaning of your processional? Where is it heading? Will this participation shape you at all? All of those hosannas that we sing are meant to be echoes of the song of heaven. Worthy is the lamb, remember. The slain lamb. Hosanna. For those of us who follow Christ, we're entering a processional hoping that it shapes us to be more like Jesus. And I pray that we will be going not as conquerors who are looking to strike fear in the heart of our enemies, but as those who are willing to risk even our very lives on behalf of God's love for the world. And it may look like foolishness to some. We may find ourselves surrounded by marginalized and outcasts, the lost and the lonely, the broken and the hurting, those who at one time couldn't vote, or those who at one time couldn't attend church services or get married. Maybe even children, God forbid. And yet this foolishness is exactly the vulnerability, that fearless vulnerability of the lamb marching in the lamb's parade. Despite how foolishness, it, the foolishness that it looks to the world, we recognize it to be the strength of God. If we decide to follow Jesus on this way into Jerusalem, we will stop this rally around the family with a pocket full of shells and we'll start to see that the way to bring peace is through vulnerability. We stop and humbly ask ourselves, what does it mean to look like Jesus? We start to hear the voices of the victims telling us what peace might look like. It will be a triumphant entry, but it will not be an entry of warriors, but as of lovers and healers and peacemakers, all on behalf of God's dream for the world, the one that is revealed to us and initiated by Christ, the Lamb of God. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.